You know, we, last week we talked about, uh, <clears throat> talk, well, when we stopped a couple weeks ago, we were talking about David coming into his own. And uh, we looked at the first part of chapter 31, and we talked about how uh, David's decisions uh, had some personal ramifications for him. And when I, when I hear a song like that, you know, just as I am, it, it just reminds me that uh, even in the midst of our bad decisions that we make in life, he's still telling us, just come, just, just as you are, just come on. Uh, those bad decisions, listen, when we come to Christ, they're gone. He remembers them no more. We, we carry them around for a long time, but he, he drops them and remembers them no more. So this morning we're going to finish up uh, chapter 30, the second part to David comes into his own. And like I was just talking about in verses 1 through 6, we saw some of the consequences uh, of the bad decisions David had made in regards to joining himself to Achish, the king of Gath and the Philistines. Uh, sure, it, it temporarily uh, got Saul off his back, but it presented a whole uh, other set of circumstances and problems for David and his life. And I think hindsight being 2020, maybe he began to think that uh, I'll just have, uh, it would be a whole lot better if I just trusted in the Lord's sovereignty in my life at that point. I think as he looked back, that, that had to have been one of the things he thought of. Man, I should have just trusted God during those times. He's now lost his town. He's lost his wives, all of his belongings, as well as everything that belonged to his 600 men. And now they want to stone him to death. They're bitter. They're angry at this point. That bitterness amongst his men, uh, probably a lot of it had to do with regret that they had, uh, fear, anger, guilt, distress upon grief upon top of that. And we wonder, what is David going to do? What, what's he to do at this point? What can he do to make this better? Because really, one more bad decision for David might be ruinous for him. It's pretty important that David starts making some good decisions right now at this juncture in his life. We know he can. We've seen him make good decisions before. And we know he's still God's chosen man, the future king of Israel. And, and the bigger picture is still unfolding for David and for the rest of Israel. So what will he do? Now, this is his moment. David is coming into his own. And how will he respond? But then we have to ask ourselves, how do we come back after making one really bad decision or maybe a series of bad decisions or maybe just a lifetime of bad decisions? And I would just encourage you to take heart because God's grace and mercy can work in you by the Holy Spirit's power, good, godly decisions for your good and his glory are still possible. If you're breathing and your heart is beating, you still have a chance to finish this race strong. In our text today, we're going to see four different things. We're going to see David seeks the Lord. <clears throat> David seeks the Lord. The second thing would be David follows the direction of the Lord. 
David follows the direction of the Lord. Third, David is given a providential encounter from the Lord. David is given a providential encounter from the Lord. And then lastly, David's victory over the enemies of the Lord. David's victory over the enemies of the Lord. How many, we, as we look at our, our first point, and I'm sure all of us can sit back right now and begin thinking, how many wayward journeys have we taken in life? How many inappropriate words have come out of our mouths? How many heartaches have we encountered? How many tragic consequences have we suffered because we failed to seek the Lord before all things that we have attempted? How quick we are in many cases to just dive off those cliffs before we check the water below to see if there's anything dangerous in the water. Or start that big brush pile to burning before asking someone if it's even okay to do it. We get so wrapped up in the couldas and the wouldas that we don't bother to ask shoulda, should we do it? And we fail to ask it of the Lord, most importantly. David should have asked the question, should I of the Lord a whole lot more up to this point that we're at? Would have saved him a lot of heartaches, a lot of troubles. His bad decisions, and by this I mean the decisions that he made without seeking the Lord first, brought about personal and corporate consequences and a lot of bitterness. But something has happened to David, I think. I think something happened after he came back and he found everything gone, everything burned down in Ziklag. In verse 7, let's read verses 7 and 8 of our text this morning in chapter 30. It says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So verse 7 starts out, And David said to Abiathar the priest, and we got to ask the question, isn't that just music to our ears? We see where he's going already. He's now going to seek the Lord. He's not just paying lip service. This isn't just to make things look good. He's not trying to do this so that his men hear him and maybe they put a little bit more confidence in him. Nor is it some kind of worldly, fleshly, oh God, listen, I'm sorry, uh, so now can you do something for me? Because we see that routine often. I think he has learned what his failure uh, to seek the Lord's will in all things has cost him. And that God has been faithful in spite of it. He's learned, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Those were David's words. In Psalm 63, verse 1, as he reflects back on his time in the wilderness. 
He would also write in Psalm 27, 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. He goes on to look at uh, Abiathar and he says, bring the ephod, that, that, that vest that was worn by the high priest. It's beautifully embroidered with gold and scarlet and purple and blue threads all throughout it, having the Urim and the Thummim placed on it and was used to inquire of the Lord's will. David's ready now. After all the issues that he's been having in the last couple chapters, David's ready now to seek the Lord. He asks the question, shall I pursue this band? And, and, and in his mind he's going, shall, shall I even go, should I even go at all? That's really the question. Do I need to even bother? Then he asks the question, shall I overtake them? He's going, when I, when I pursue, shall I come upon them? And notice it's not, shall I destroy them? Shall I win the contest? And I think the reason why he doesn't ask that is he knew he would do it if he could get to them. He's asking, will they be found? And know how gracious the Lord is. He's answered, he answers David swiftly this time. And he does so in one reply, pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. See, David hasn't sought the Lord really for about four chapters, five chapters. And it's interesting that now when things are at the worst, something happens in David and he gets it. Can you imagine what a boost to morale that gave David and his men that God had heard them? The excitement, the joy, the confidence that it gave them when they know that the Lord, he's still listening. He's still hearing us. Some may have just been excited that they got a favorable response from God. But I think for David and maybe some of the others, more it's more of a relief that was mixed in with that, with, the, with that whole answer from God, that God was still there, God was still their God, He was still listening. They realized how important obedience was in seeking the Lord in all things. Because David really hadn't done that for a while. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see people who did not seek the Lord at all. Saul is a beautiful picture of that very thing. Esau is another good example, as well as the kings of Israel. Others would seek the Lord, but like us, they had, they had moments of weaknesses and failure, and the Lord grew them through those, through those mistakes for His glory. Think of them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. Even God's chosen people would struggle often with seeking their God. In the New Testament, many would seek the Lord through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The wise men sought Him. The, the Herods sought Him. The shepherds sought Him. Crowds would seek after Him to hear His teaching. The lame would seek him. The lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lepers, all those with disease and sickness would seek him out for healing. Some even sought him out when death was at hand, only to have the loved one die and then be raised back to life by Jesus Christ. 
And some would seek him with questions of spiritual concern, questions about life. Nicodemus, the Samaritans of Sychar, the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus, Mary, the sister of Martha, and the apostles all sought him for something much, much deeper. Many came seeking him on that resurrection day. Was he truly risen from the dead, just as the promise, just as he promised, and just as the angels had said? They were seeking the Lord. They wanted to know with everything inside of them. So let me ask you: Has it been a, has it been quite a while since you've sought the Lord? Even as believers, sometimes we get into these ruts. And we fail to seek him in all things. Even in the bad times, the trials, the, the tribulations, the struggles. Are you trying to figure out what to do about some issue, whether it be physical or spiritual or financial or emotional? Do you seek him, more importantly, when everything's okay? David Platt said, so we go to him. We spend time with him. We sincerely listen to his word as we walk in obedience to it. God leads and guides us according to his will. And suddenly we realize that the will of God is not a roadmap just waiting to be unearthed somewhere. Instead, it's a relationship that God wants us to experience every day. Are you seeking him? Do you want to seek him? Go to him. Spend time with him. That's how you're going to find him. You know, Christian, go to the Lord today. Seek him before, before taking the very next step. Search out his word, pray, find godly counsel, and then listen and wait. Because he will lead you. It, it will bring glory to him. And it will be for your good, I promise you. And be ready when you seek him. Be ready to follow him no matter what the cost is. Philip Graham Riken said, if you want to know what God wants you to do, the first question is not, what is God's will for my life? As if you have to read God's mind to know what you ought to do. Really, the first question about God's will is, am I willing to do it? There is no sense in asking for God to reveal his will for your life unless you are committed to doing what he wants done. See, David's in a bind here. He has a choice. He's going to seek the Lord. But it, like, he, like, the, like Philip said there just a second ago, it doesn't do any good for us to seek him if we're not going to follow him and do what he says afterwards. And you know, I, over the years, all of us have had this struggle. How do I find the will of God? How do I seek his will? Well, first thing you got to do is... Matthew chapter 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You want to know his will? You want to know what to do next? Because David, David's going to want to know what to do here. We already saw that. He's asking a question. He's seeking the Lord in those questions. If you want to know what to do, seek him. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Seek not for yourself, not for your own little kingdom, not in your own righteousness, seek him, his kingdom, and his righteousness. The old chorus goes, 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Y'all remember that one? But we also have to do something else. And this is something that, that David didn't do. We need to wait on God's timing. See, if he would have just stopped at the beginning of this whole nonsense when he's fleeing from Saul, if he would have just stopped, sought the Lord, and then waited, he wouldn't be where he's at right now. We have to wait for God to reveal himself, to show himself when we seek him. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. God doesn't think like us. He's got different plans. He's got different ways for us. The only way we're going to find that out is to seek him and then wait to see what his thoughts and his, where his thoughts and his ways lead us. Remember, God does things in his own perfect timing. And then we have to understand he just might do things completely the opposite of how we want them done. That's a tough one. <clears throat> it's tough to seek the Lord and then to have him tell you something that you don't want to hear. You know, Christian, I would just say, look... No more bad decisions. You want to stop the bad decisions? Seek the Lord before you do anything. Christians, seek him. Seek him like the hound goes and hunts down that fox. I want you to turn over to a passage. I want you to turn to the book of Song of Solomon. And I would just, I would just beg you and plead with you to seek like this. Chapter 5, verses 2, two through 8. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 2 through 8. The bride says, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with drops of the night. I have put off my garment. How could I put it on? I obeyed my feet. How could I soil them? My, my beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but I found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went out about the city and the city. They beat me and they bruised me. They took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. Do we seek the Lord like the bride is seeking the bridegroom there? Because it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of the bride of Christ, of you and I seeking the bridegroom, Christ. Do we seek him like that? that is, because that is so very important that we learn to seek the Lord no matter what the cost. The second point is this. David follows the directions of the Lord. Now, David, uh, back on track with seeking the Lord, as he should, he's given an answer 
as to what the Lord would have him to do. The Lord tells him in one swift uh, statement, pursue for you shall over, for you shall for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Now was the time for action. After three days journey, they're going to head out again, this time for the Lord's work, for the Lord's plan. In verses 9 and 10, listen to what it says. So David set out and, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Bessor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bessor. So off they go. They will reclaim their property and their people. And I mean, any one of us would do that. We would stop and say, hey, I've heard from the Lord. He's given me direction. I'm going. Now's the time to leave. The Lord told them to go. And really, it's a promise of their success from the Lord. There's going to be victory here for the taking. All they had to do was get up and go. They're commissioned by God himself to go forward. They would leave that burning eyesore that was Ziklag, and they would march out confident. But when they come to the brook Bessor, 200 of the men are so weak that they can't go any further. And some of the ancients say that David actually forbid them from going due to their physical condition. They were just wore out. They were willing to face the enemy. They weren't afraid of them. But due to their weakened condition, they may be a liability in battle at the same time. But they followed the direction of the Lord, at least up to that brook Bessor. They followed the direction of the Lord, their leader David, by contributing to the campaign, by guarding all the supplies that are left there with them. They were faithful in following the Lord's direction by staying with the supplies. And they were just as faithful as the men who went on into battle. And we can see what happens when we don't follow the Lord's direction obediently right there in the beginning of the Garden of Eden. When we look back in Genesis chapter 3, a very explicit, pointed command was given to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat... Of it, you shall surely die. All they had to do was follow directions. But we look back, or actually that was Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. We look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. And what does it tell us? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. All again, all you got to do is follow his directions. But that's not it. It's not over there. Look and see what happened because they didn't follow directions. Genesis chapter 3 verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. You can thank Adam, you can thank Eve for that, okay? 
you, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And you go, why couldn't you just follow the directions that the Lord had given you? But then it carries over to us people. It carries over to us because in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 it says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death passed to all men because of sin. Oh, I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. That's what we, that's what we think sometimes. Oh, I, 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 would have, I would have been done differently. I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. Are you crazy? We can't follow directions just in getting out of bed in the morning. And that's the whole issue. We, we haven't learned to follow directions yet in our life. We see people not following the Lord's directions all through the Bible. Cain, he's told by God, if you do well, uh, uh, will, not you, will you not be accepted? He couldn't follow that direction. He killed his brother. Abraham, all he had to do is wait and follow the directions of the Lord. Sarah's going to give you a child, an heir, who will, who will it will follow all the way down to the Messiah. No, he couldn't follow the direction, and he went into Hagar. Pharaoh, God told him through Moses, let my people go, and it destroyed Egypt. Moses struck the rock for water when all the Lord told him to do was speak to it. Numbers chapter 20. The Israelites, oh listen, the Israelites, they have struggled their whole existence with just following the directions of the Lord. Saul, again, he couldn't follow directions. David several times failed. Why? Because he couldn't follow the directions of the Lord. Solomon failed because he couldn't follow the directions of the Lord and stay away from idols and women. And it's the same in the New Testament. Just think for a moment about some of these. Look at what Paul has to tell the church at Corinth. They couldn't follow simple directions. The church in Ephesus, Paul warned them what was about to happen. And they couldn't follow those directions. Demas deserted Paul for the world. Alexander the coppersmith. All the churches in the book of Revelation, except for two, couldn't follow simple directions from the Lord. I know, Christian, it's good to seek the Lord, but it does absolutely no good at all if we will not follow his directions when we know them. And that goes back to that, that quote by, by Philip Graham Ray, uh, Riken. If you want to know what, God's, what, uh, what God wants you to do, the first question is not, what is God's will for my life? As if you have to read God's mind to know what you ought to do. Really, the first question is about, uh, about God's will is, am I willing to do it? It's tragic sometimes, the places that we find ourselves. 
But let's look at a couple examples of people following the Lord's directions. Listen, Peter went to Cornelius' house. He followed the directions of the Lord. Paul and Silas followed the directions of the Lord when they, when they went and accepted that Macedonian call. We look at the multitudes of saints who have gone on before us, who have followed God's directions in their lives. William Carey, God's direction took him to India. Robert Moffat, the great Scottishman, he ended up following the directions of the Lord to Africa. Jim Elliott, to his death, went to Ecuador. Lottie Moon, to her death, went to China. Look at the millions upon millions who follow God's directions every day, and they became housewives, homeschoolers, doctors, dump truck drivers, garbage men, gourmet chefs, bus drivers, beauticians, all because they were obedient to follow God's direction in their life. George Mueller said this, he said, we are never losers from doing the will of the Lord. Are you going to follow his directions when he gives them to you? Are you going to seek him and find out what it is and where it is and all those things? Are you going to follow those directions once you know? Think of Jesus following the directions of the Father and His active obedience, keeping the whole of the law so that salvation could come to us. Think of His passive obedience that took Him to the cross at Calvary, all for our salvation. He followed the directions that were given to Him, all for the glory of God, all to save the elect. And Christian, if you have read God's Word long enough, I'm going to tell you this flat out. If you've read God's Word long enough, you know the direction He's leading you 98% of the times in everything. Augustine, give me grace, O Lord, to do as you command. And command me to do what you will. O oh, holy God, when your commands are obeyed, it is from you that we receive the power to obey them. Don't say, I can't, I can't follow God's directions, or I can't, God can't leave me there, I can't do that, it's just not in me. Hogwash. He'll empower you. He will be able to make you, through the power of the Spirit, do everything and anything that He has called you forth to do. All you got to do is be obedient and follow the directions that He gives you. Scriptures fill with all these things when we look at them. Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Follow the directions He's given us. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Follow his direction. Psalm 73, verse 24. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Follow the directions. Follow the directions that he's given you. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 16, And I will lead the blind in the way that they do not know, and paths that they have not known I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are things I do, and I do not forsake them. Listen, we all the time go, I just don't know what God's direction is in my life. Yes, you do. 
It's right here. He's telling you. Be obedient to follow it, and everything else will come to light. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. You've got to follow His directions. No more bad decisions. Why? Because we're going to follow the directions that He gives us in our life. Third point, David is, is, given, is given a providential encounter from the Lord, verses 11 through 15. I find it so completely amazing to watch God providentially moving and working in the lives of his children. Jerry Bridges tells us God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule, uh, absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and the good of his people. And isn't that what we've seen from the very beginning of 1 Samuel, starting with Hannah? God providentially working things out to his glory. We see it in the life of David too. So when we look in our text this morning at verses 11 through 15, this is what it says. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of cake, a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negeb of the Cherethites, which is another portion of Philistines right there, and against that which belongs to Judah, and against the Negeb of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. Oh, that one had to hurt. And David said to him, will you, take me, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. So, they, so they're out in this desert region. And you all, you all seen deserts before in books. There's just not a whole lot there. Bugs and snakes and whatever else. No water. It's a place where you go to die, I think. There's nothing there. And they're going after the Amalekites. And we don't know if they have picked up on their trail or they knew something of this particular group and where their haunts may be. And, and I think here we find a bit of compassion uh, on David's part on this Egyptian that they find out here. Providentially, they just come upon this guy out in the middle of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? He must have looked bad uh, because as it turns out, he's sick, he's left behind the uh, the exact by the by the exact ba band of Amalekites that David's looking for. But what does David do before he knows any of this? He feeds him. He gives him water to drink. He meets his most basic needs and necessities. David's showing a lot of compassion here to a guy who just said, "Yeah, I was with a bunch of burned your city and took everything you had." It was God's providence for David. And yet it was also God's providence for that Egyptian. The Egyptian may have, the, the Egyptian thought, this man, this is luck. This is just a chance or this is just good fortune that David and his men just come, just come across him in this desert area. But we know better. We know God did this. For both David and the Egyptian, this worked out for God's glory and they're good. 
The Egyptian then tells his story, and more importantly, that he would take David to where the Amalekites were if David would spare him. He gives details of the Amalekite expedition and says, yes, we took Ziklag and we burned it. And God, once again, is blessing David's, uh, is blessing David and his endeavors, first and foremost for, for God's glory, and secondly, because David is part of God's big story. Not just for Israel, but for the bigger picture of the plan of salvation through the ages. For the Messiah, Jesus would come from his lineage. God's working this out so awesomely, so providentially. And listen, there are chance encounters in the Bibles. It wasn't just luck as some people that some people met. They just didn't run into each other out on the street like we so, caught, so often say, Hey, I just kind of ran into so-and-so today. That's providence. Listen, it's, it's a providential meeting ordained by God. Listen, it was providence that Abraham's servant met Rebekah at the well. It was providence that those particular slave traders meet up with Joseph's brothers in that one spot and turn Joseph over to him. It was providence that the two spies met Rahab, that Joshua met the Gibeonites, that Sisera met Jael, Paul met Lydia and the demon-possessed girl in Philippi and the jailer, Apollos met Priscilla and Aquila. Those aren't just chances. This is, that's God working in the lives of people through his providence. Jerry Bridges tells us, we may say that providence is God orchestrating all events and circumstances in the universe for his glory and the good of his people. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Do you see it in your own life? Do you see it in your own life? Will you admit to it in your own life? Because I can tell you, hands down, there's multiple, multiple, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people that through God's providence came into my life. It was God's providence. I don't know why that brought a young lady into my life when I was 16 that led me to the Lord. That's providence. It was providence that brought my wife to me. It was providence that brought me here to y'all that I happened to get a phone call from Stan Romano. You know the times in your life when providence stepped in. And I know this can be a, a hard pill to swallow but even those whom we have met by providence that have ended up being terrible people, that caused terrible circumstances in our lives, somehow, some way, God in his sovereignty will be glorified. And I truly believe that one day we will rejoice that that which he brought us through was for his glory alone. And don't ask me how. I can't tell you a, a, a textbook answer. All I can tell you is that's what God's Word tells us. That's what God's Word promises us. And I believe it. It's hard to comprehend, I know. But like all those that I talked about earlier, God was glorified in the tragedies and the triumphs of their lives through that act of providence. No, Christian, today you are here. Everyone in this room, you are here today by God's providence. You are here today with these people, particularly by God's 
providence. And when you leave here, I want you to ask yourself this question. When you leave here, you will encounter others providentially. And what will you say? And what will you do when you come upon them? God may give you a providential encounter this morning, this afternoon, with a broken-hearted person. You may have an encounter with a divorcee who is struggling with guilt or regret or shame. You might have an encounter with a person whose body is riddled with sickness and disease. You might be, have a providential meeting with an orphan or a widow or an alcohol, recovering alcoholic or, or a drug addict trying to make it just one more day clean. You might be placed in their lives providentially this morning. And more often than not, providentially, God is going to put someone in your path today that's lost and needs a Savior and you know who the Savior is. And will you step up in that providential encounter and share the gospel? And again, what will you say? What will you do? Will you bring them in as David did and meet their needs providentially? Last point is this, David's victory over the enemy. So David, now after seeking the Lord and following the Lord's direction and, and being given a providential encounter, is shown where the enemy is residing. Look at verses 16 through 20. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken Taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Well, there it is. The wicked, as always, triumphing in all their wickedness. They're out, they're out in the desert. They'll do it in the desert. They'll do it anywhere they can. They're spread out all over the land in revelry, eating, drinking, dancing. And the reason they did so was their victories over the Philistines and, and Judah. And only over Judah because David had made one bad decision and didn't seek the Lord before he made it. If only they knew what was about to happen. So you rob a lioness of her whelp and you pay the price. You rob a lion of the tribe of, of his wives and property and you will feel the sword of justice ordained by God. And that is just what David does. He and his men strike in the evening one day and they pummel they just beat them all the way into the next day and the next evening. Only 400 escaped on camels, fleeing for their lives. They had picked a fight with the wrong lion. And David and his men recover all theirs and a little bit more. David makes his decision to seek the Lord and follow his direction. And because of that, he's brought blessings to him and his men. 
this good decision had a personal effect. He received his wives and his property back. But his good decision also corporate effect. His men received back their wives, their children, and their property. Bitterness was at least temporarily gone. As we see it rears its ugly head at the end of the chapter. And really, this was a victory for the Lord. First, in that God, it was God who gave David and his men the victory over his enemy, and also David's enemy, the Amalekites. But it was also a victory in that God's chosen man, the one who would soon sit upon the throne of Israel, David, had come to his senses and was now seeking the Lord and following the Lord's directions in his life. And Christian, do you not realize that, yes, Yes, we may suffer the loss of some battles here and, here and now. We may take some lumps and some bruises and some bloody noses. Maybe even lose our life battling the enemy here. But the final victory is already ours. It was won almost 2,000 years ago at Calvary's cross. And the three days that followed... When Christ would rise from the dead on that first day of the week. David battled that day for what was already his. But listen, we battle for what is our promised inheritance in Christ. For his glory and for his honor. David fought flesh and blood, but we fight against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not against flesh and blood. No, our warfare is different. Some of David's enemy escaped that day, but not ours. One day our enemy will be judged and condemned and cast into that eternal lake of fire. And we are victorious in Christ. Listen, this morning, are you seeking the Lord? If you seek the Lord and then you follow his directions, you'll stop making the bad decisions that you do. And if you do, it'll just be here and there. Are you looking for those encounters where God's working in your life? And working in the lives of others. And are you living victoriously in Christ? That's the big question that we ask ourselves today. Those four things. Are we doing that for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would move and work upon our hearts in a mighty way. That your word would speak. Oh God. Where my words have failed that your word will speak to the hearts of people through the power of your spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.